This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 28th of January 2024, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is Lumina Sophie from Martinique. Another kick-ass heroine. Welcome. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good late afternoon, dear listeners, and early evening, fellow educators. This is my 57th show for Teachers Talk Radio, and it's the second episode of Series 3, which is um, about decolonizing history through um, revealing the stories of very important women of color who made history. Um, I am your hostess for today, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. So I have to apologize. My voice is not at its best at the moment. I have had uh, colds and viruses on and off for a few months. But we will do what we can, and I hope you will still enjoy the show. I have to introduce myself for any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. Working in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages, I also have experience as a kindergarten teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter, X Twitter, at Prof Prof MFL. All views are absolutely my own. So today I would like to focus on a topic that is very relevant to me as a woman, as a woman of color, but also as an educator. And it is about the history of women of color in order to bring light, to shed light on their contribution to history. So today's show is going to be focusing on Lumina Sophie, who was also called Surprise. Uh, it's a nickname. So Lumina Sophie is a very important woman in the history of Martinique. Martinique is an island that I will um, describe in a little while. Um, so who is this show f for? Well, first, it is for anyone who is interested in history and the history of women and the history of rebellion against the establishment. Uh, this show is also for teachers and educators, but also for their parents for anyone who is interested in social studies and the science of education, and for generally the curious and well-informed amongst us. Um, last 
show, I focused on another very important figure of um, decolonized history, and it was solitude. Solitude was a um, mixed-race woman living in um, French uh, Guadeloupe, and she was rebelling against uh, the re-establishment of slavery by Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, this is a similar um, character I want to shed a light on today, but someone from another island in the Caribbean, and her name is um, Lumina Sophie. But first, let's look at maps. Maps are very important. This is an essential tool of any parent or educators. Um, we should all have maps in our house or in our schools. So if you look at a map of the world, you're going to see that in the Caribbean, you have a plethora of little islands. Uh, European powers fought a lot in order to conquer these very useful um, islands because of their geographical position and also their closeness to the Americas. Martinique and Guadeloupe were conquered by the French Empire. Martinique is um, an island, as I said, in the Caribbean Sea. It is approximately 1,200 kilometers square. And, and at, at um, this date, there is almost 400,000 people living here. So Martinique used to be uh, inhabited by a people called the Caribbeans, and the Caribbeans were tribes of uh, Native Americans. Um, some of them are famous, some of them less, but they were quickly um, eradicated and killed either by diseases or by confrontation with Europeans in the 15th and 16th century. Um, so once the natural um, indigenous habit uh, habitants had been killed, um, the place was emptied and it was colonized by the French in the 17th century. Because the French um, wanted to make businesses, they introduced slavery and their slavery was based on skin tone and skin color. So they imported kidnapped people from Africa and moved them to the Caribbean, Martinique and Guadeloupe. Um, France still owns Martinique and Guadeloupe to this day. There has been talk about um, independence. Uh, the only thing that's stopping people from asking for their independence is their economic dependency towards France. Um, but at the moment, it is still a piece of France in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. The capital city in Martinique is Fort-de-France. Uh, a fort was built there. So you can see that it was definitely a, a period of time where there was a lot of fighting and battles because there was a necessity to build forts. Um, other major towns in Martinique are called Sainte-Anne and Saint-Pierre. Uh, Martinique 
and Guadeloupe are both um, volcanic islands. Their volcanoes are still active. Uh, if you're interested in speleology and volcano volcanoes, you can go and visit. Um, there is hot springs nearer the crater of the volcano. And because they're active, they do sometimes erupt. The latest uh, eruption was in 1902 when Montpellier, which is the name of the uh, volcano, erupted and it destroyed a lot of the cities in Martinique. Um, it hasn't erupted uh, in such a major way since, so for approximately 122 years. Is Martinique famous in the Eng English-speaking world? Well, not so much when I mention Martinique or Guadeloupe. None of my students ever know where they are. They know the English-speaking Caribbean islands, such as uh, St. Lucia, um, Jamaica, uh, Cuba, and Haiti, but they do not know about Martinique and Guadeloupe. Martinique is very famous for its beauty. Um, the landscape is absolutely mesmerizing. Uh, the people are very welcoming. And uh, there is also a type of music that originates from the island, and it is Zouk music. Um, some artists, such as Kassav, made it very famous. And um, the population in uh, Martinique is obviously French-speaking. Um, most of them have uh, African heritage. But we also have um, Chinese, East Indian, and a white um, heritage in um, Martinique. So it's a very big melting pot due to uh, first slavery, as I said, the transatlantic trade, but also the coolie trade when uh, Indians and Chinese were encouraged to migrate in order to increase the workforce. So a very diverse population, a French government, and a culture that is definitely a mix of all this, these cultures that were brought um, over the years. Now, why am I talking about Ma Martinique? Uh, because as you know, I am interested in decolonizing the curriculum. Decolonizing the cur curriculum means that we need to realize that we live in societies that are deeply unequal, um, a society that has very often actively erased the contributions made by people of color, uh, a society that is whitewashing a lot of history, a society that promotes Western European values as universals, whereas they're not. Uh, remember, only 17% of the world population is uh, white Caucasian, uh, so it is a minority. And um, it is important that we change the way we teach because we are still perpetuating a very biased, middle-class, uh, male, Western, westernized vision of the world. And it's doing us um, a disfavor. So we need to teach our young people a different history, a history that values the contribution of women, of um, the oppressed, and uh, that celebrates what women have done in the past to fight uh, for their rights and for their freedom. Most people who are interested in history will have uh, heard of two people when, when we mention Martinique. 
and sadly these two people are white uh, people. Victor Schulcher is one person who is very famous and who is linked to uh, Martinique and also Josephine de Beauharnais. Josephine de Beauharnais might not be um, famous for young people, but most of you have heard of Napoleon and you know that he was trying to be an emperor and his wife, Josephine, was by uh, association uh, the empress. Now, Josephine was a slave owner and she was a white woman living in Martinique. She left quite young and then went to France to secure a, a, a good marriage and to 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 become someone um, of renown. And the problem is that she's still uh, presented as someone important for the island of Martinique. You can still do tour uh, tours, you, you have guides who mention her name, as if she had um, contributed to um, the history of the island in a positive, meaningful way. She hasn't. She was just someone who benefited from a deeply racist and abusive system. And the fact that we still mention her name associated with the island, to me, just shows how biased we are when we mention history. Josephine de Beauharnais was on the wrong side of history. She was on the side of the slavers. So it is about time that we um, change the balance and show the people who made the island, the people whose work shaped the island, and the people who tried to improve it. Um, so I'm not the only one who feels very strongly about this. Um, a lot of the statues representing Josephine de Beauharnais and Victor Schulcher have been damaged over the years. And this reflects uh, the anger that uh, people feel when um, the state and when uh, the media keep on promoting uh, white people who benefited from slavery. You might argue Victor Schulcher fought against slavery. Yes, of course he did. He was trying to stop this system. But he's famous for um, pushing the re-abolition of slavery in France. We forget that he did it in a legal way. He was trying to change the law from Paris. We also have had many people who fought, who, who took arms and died for that struggle, and their names are not recorded. There's no statues of them and they're forgotten by history. So it is important not to just always celebrate white people for having tried to stop slavery, but also the people who were not white, who did exactly the same and who died in the process. A lot of people have sacrificed themselves to bring the end of slavery. So it's not, it's not fair to only celebrate Victor Schulcher, who did it, and I salute his efforts, but he did it also while being a white person safe in his struggle because he was acting on the legal side and not bearing arms. So there is a big debate, a big historic debate about how we celebrate history and uh, what happens to statues of white uh, slave owners. So in 2020, in July, uh, two statues representing uh, Pierre Belin de Nambuc, who was a slave owner, uh, 
and um, Josephine de Beauharnais were damaged in Martinique. And this is not just happening in Martinique. You remember very vividly when the statue of Edward Colston was thrown in the river in Bristol in 2020. Um, this is a movement that has taken root and that is not going to stop. So we definitely need to um, take strong decisions and take these statues off our main streets, place them in a museum where they can be recontextualized, where we can have a caption that explains this is the statue of uh, Pierre Belin de Nambuc or the statue of Josephine de Beauharnais. And these were people who benefited from a racist, abusive slave um, trade. And these people used to be celebrated. Nowadays, they belong in the museum but we do no longer celebrate these people and other statues need to replace them. So this is um, the topic of this podcast. The statue of the Empress Josephine married to Bonaparte was in Fort de France in the capital of Martinique since 1859. And it has um, been damaged she was beheaded, quite a symbol in French history, as you recall, um, 30 years ago, um, taken off the pedestal and damaged beyond repair. Now, the pieces of that statue have been collected and are kept in a secret location. And I find that really interesting about um, the way the government dealt with it. Uh, they kept it, but hidden. They know how angry the, the population of Martinique is about this celebration uh, of a former slave woman and they, they had to hide the statue. So it is kept because it is a historical um, statue and it has an importance historically. And um, I, wish, I wish we could have it exhibited in the Museum uh, of Slavery. There's one in Guadeloupe and there must um, be one also in Martinique. Just to explain, to show the rage that people go through uh, when they see unfairness promoted. Now, um, I just want to remind people of what happened in Martinique over up to three or four hundred years. I'm sure you're all very much aware of what slavery was like um, because you have all read about it. Uh, we've all read um, books about American history, but I just want to tell you what happened in the French colonies. So in France, everything related to the way black people were treated was written in a code called the Black Code. And it was written by the, let's say, the second, the right-hand man of the King Louis XIV, the Sun King, the one who founded uh, uh, the Chateau de Versailles in Versailles. So Colbert was his uh, right-hand man, and he wrote this code. And in his code, it established that black people who were working in the West Indies were objects that belonged to their owners. And there was a set of rules that the owner had to follow and way more rules that the slave had to follow. And there was also a set of punishments that the owner had to use against a slave who didn't follow orders properly. So slaves worked six days a week, 
but it was forbidden for them to work on a Sunday or on a public holiday. And they had to work with sunshine. So um, this, as soon as the sun rises, so very early in the Caribbean, like six in the morning, until 6 p.m., um, the sun sets quite early, they were working. And they had just a short break for lunch. Um, pregnant uh, slaves had more breaks in the day, but they were still subjected to uh, working. A slave, a female slave, had to have at least six children before she could get a few more days of rest. So any women with only only five children had to work as much as any slave, male slave. They had to feed themselves. They were not given food. They had they had uh, the right to use a little parcel of land where they had to grow their own vegetables, which meant that they had to do extra shifts in order to feed themselves. And um, the owner could choose to provide them with cod, corned beef or flour, but it was a choice and not a, a prerequisite. Now, the living conditions of female slaves depended on their skin tones. The darker, the harder the work, and it would be in the fields, and the lighter skin tone, and then they would be allowed to work as domestic servants, as domestic slaves, my apologies, in the home of their slaver. Any children born out of the slaves, whether they were um, children um, of the master or the biological children of the master or um, they were the children of, of another male slave, were owned by the master and could be sold. So the edict in the, the Black Code was uh, the king the king's edict so it was the law marriage was only obtained with the consent of the master and even if a woman had been given the right to marry another slave she still belonged to the master which uh, discouraged many male slaves from asking to marry a woman because they knew that she could still be raped um she could still be beaten and her children would, would be uh, sold if needed. So a lot of uh, male slaves refused to, um, to marry because they didn't want their wives to, to not be protected. Um, as I said, it was written by Jean-Baptiste Colbert, who died in 1683, and it was still valid all the way until the abolition of slavery. Slavery was abolished in 1793 in France during the revolution, which was a great event. But sadly, when Napoleon took power, he reinstated slavery because of financial needs in 1802. Um, so this was in this setting that you can imagine the lives of black uh, people in Martinique and Guadeloupe. They were obviously deprived of their freedom, they were deprived of their descendants, and de they were deprived of their free will. Now, some brave slaves refused the status quo, and they escaped. You can imagine how dangerous that must have been. Now, the figure of the escapee slave is uh, very famous in literature and in history, and it's uh, the Negmaron. 
The Neg Marron is the escapee uh, slave who is made in the jungle and lives freely. The issue with uh, the Neg Marron is that if he's caught, and usually it was ma men who escaped because it was so dangerous, and if they're caught, they'll be amputated and they'll be sent back to work in a plantation. So it was a very dangerous status, but a lot of them managed to do it. There is a beautiful sculpture of a Neg Marron uh, made by the artist Hector Charpentier, and it's in Martinique in the Commune of the Diamond. Um, it's a bronze statue that represents um, a man breaking from um, a chain. This is a great literary figure and a great historical figure. And um, Lumina Sophie comes into that um, that perspective of the escapee, the person who refuses the status quo and chooses their own freedom. As I mentioned, that uh, Neg Marron's statue was in inaugurated on the 22nd of May 1998, when we celebrated 150 years after since the abolition of slavery in Martinique. It symbolizes the figure of the um, freed slave, the rebel, the fugitive, who is fighting a daily battle to stay hidden in order to enjoy his freedom. He's broken the chain. So it's a very popular hero, um, someone robust, someone young, someone, uh, as I said, usually male, who is um, breaking the mold and stepping into freedom. Now, Hector Charpentier, the artist who sculpted this wonderful sculpture, is um, Martinique. He was born in Fort de France in 1950. And during his career, he worked on top, on main uh, themes such as uh, the transatlantic uh, slave trade, slavery, and the abolition. He also made a very striking um, sculpture which is called the Arms of Freedom. And it's just two arms raised uh, against the sky uh, with open hands, open palms, uh, with um, chains that are broken hanging uh, around their wrists. It's again a bronze statue that symbolizes the, the freedom from slavery. And it was uh, inaugurated for the 100-year anniversary Um, of um, of of this, the end of slavery, and it's in Saint Pierre in Martinique. You can visit it if you're lucky enough to visit Martinique. Beautiful piece of art. But as I said, the figure of the Neg Baron is usually male. Now I want to talk about um, the female freedom fighter, the female rebel, the woman who is brave enough to risk everything for freedom. But I will do this after the break. So I hope you're going to enjoy the news and we'll get back to this and talk about Sophie Lumière straight after. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. 
visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Ofsted finds itself in the news again as inspections paused for two-week period to allow inspectors to undertake mental health awareness training begin again on the 22nd of January. ITV News shared the results of a survey of almost 2,000 school leaders which showed that 97% support the removal of single word judgments. The survey, carried out by NAHT Union, followed the outcome of the inquest into the death of Ruth Perry. The union has urged Ofsted to implement a number of changes, including a mechanism for school leaders to halt an inspection where an inspector's conduct falls below standards, extending the notice period schools receive for inspection, and asking them to revert to a process, however temporarily, of ungraded inspections similar to those conducted during the pandemic. Meanwhile, the BBC reports that Ofsted has apologised fully for the first time for the role it played in Ruth Perry's death. The apology came at the same time as Ofsted responded to the coroner's prevention of future deaths notice. In the PFD response, new Ofsted chief Sir Martin Oliver said, such tragedies should never happen again, and that he apologised sincerely for the part inspection played in her death. Since the death of Mrs Perry, schools judged as inadequate on safeguarding alone are now re-inspected within three months. Ofsted also changed its confidentiality rules to allow heads to speak to colleagues, family, friends and health professionals about outcomes of inspections before the report is actually published. The Department for Education has committed to working with Ofsted to review things during a consultation in the spring, which it is calling the Big Listen. Education unions praised Ofsted's positive steps, but said they were only the beginning. The weather has been front and centre of the news this week, with schools across parts of Wales and Scotland being forced to close due to snow. Icy conditions and weather warnings made for tricky travel and forced school closures in areas badly affected. For those concerned that the post-pandemic impact of remote learning would mean the end of snow days, pictures on social media and local news proved that this was not always the case. But anyone worried that the icy blasts will last can be assured that the weather is set to return to normal over the next few days. Authors, including Sir Michael Morpogo and Mallory Blackman, have written an open letter urging the government to invest in early years reading. According to a Book Trust survey, only half of children between one and two from low-income families are read to daily, 
with some families struggling to access books and being in need of support. The letter from authors is addressed to both Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Labour leader Sakir Starmer and says it is not right that children from poorer backgrounds are deprived of a life rich in reading. Sir Michael Mopogo is president of the Charity Book Trust and helped launch their new campaign Get Reading to support disadvantaged children in family reading. He spoke on BBC's Radio 4's Today programme saying that the younger that children are introduced to the power of stories, the better chance there is of putting them on an extraordinary pathway of knowledge, understanding and empathy. He also said that books need to be free at the point of delivery, like the health service. A DFE spokesperson said, We are committed to raising literacy for children. But Sir Michael said that these efforts are clearly not enough. Finally, The Guardian features an article which looks at research in America that appears to show that children learn better on paper than on screens. The research follows headlines across the pond which focused on the nationwide collapse in reading scores among American youths, citing a four-point drop in the comprehension skills of 13-year-olds, falling below skill levels of 1971 for the worst performing students. Politicians appear to be assigning blame to the pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns, with remote learning being labelled as bad for students by the Biden administration. Others blame teachers who they say lobbied for lockdowns. However, the article itself focuses on a new study by neuroscientists at Columbia University's Teachers College, which appears to show there is a clear advantage to reading a text on paper rather than on a screen because it leads to what they describe as deeper reading. A sample of 59 children aged 10 to 12 were asked to complete a series of tasks, which led researchers to conclude that we should not yet throw away printed books and shouldn't rely on the digital revolution just yet. Further details can be read on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening to the news. Um, I am definitely interested in that debate that was mentioned during the news about digital versus analog uh, teaching. And you can imagine that because I love history, I love books, and I think children need to be exposed to paper books as often as possible. Um, so, going back to our Icons of Freedom series. Uh, last show was focusing on Solitude from Guadeloupe, and today we're focusing on Lumina Sophie. I just want to reiterate the fact that I had never heard of Solitude and Lumina Sophie until I started working on decolonizing the curriculum myself. Being a French citizen, woman of color, you would have thought that I would have been exposed to the history of famous heroine who worked uh, and fought for freedom and emancipation, because that's a very French thing to do, to fight for freedom and to be a revolutionary. And yet they were not mentioned in my history books I never came across their names when I was at university, even though I did a bit of women's studies at Paris One University. And it's only when I started digging on the internet to find out about famous female 
um, women, female um, his, historic figures that I found them. So I think it's shocking and it shows how our history is still whitewashed. We know about Joan of Arc, movies have been made about Joan of Arc, and yet when we have female, black female uh, figures who fought the way Joan of Arc fought, they're not mentioned, there's not enough books written about them, and there's no films uh, made about their lives. So I think it's time to do something about it. So who was Lumina Sophie? Well, she was a woman of color born in uh, Martinique. She was born after 1793, um, which was the first time the um, slavery was abolished. But she was born much later. Uh, in 1802, uh, Napoleon reinstated slavery and Lumina Sophie was born Allegedly, we don't have the precise dates, on the 5th of November 1848, uh, au Vauclin, that's the location. She is actually recorded in the parish um, and the state records because it was the 19th century where solitude in, in Guadeloupe was not, her name was not recorded. Uh, but she was recorded with a different name. Um, Lumina Sophie. She was called Marie Philomène Sophie. So Mary Philomena Sophie. And we believe that um, her family name was Roptus, R-O-P-T-U-S. Her mother was Mary Sophie and she was the granddaughter of uh, Reine Sophie. Her family was in majority um, women, uh, mothers and aunts which can be explained by the impact of slavery on mores and attitudes. Remember, um, children were often separated from their parents, so it was very difficult for some fathers to trace their lineage or be present in their children's life. Now, her childhood was... Um, Obviously, we don't know much about her childhood, but we know that she was uh, working... In, uh, on a pl plantation, she was um, her family had access to a bit of land, so they, they were self-sustained and they could feed themselves. When her grandmother died, though, um, the family uh, disperses and they are no longer all living together. So they are working on different plantations. They cultivate um, sugarcane, coffee, pulses, legumes, her mother also has to make more money by being a seamstress and she's a laborer when uh, needed. She also sells her goods on the market. So this is definitely a very uh, difficult lifestyle uh, with um, low comfort and, and um, no running water, absolutely not, nothing like that. So she can also witness in her childhood the way rural populations suffer when they have no access to education. And although um, the abolition of slavery had been uh, confirmed since Schulzer in 1848, it's still uh, a very difficult lifestyle. The black people are paid less than anyone else. Segregation is absolutely welcome and encouraged. And her life was not an easy life. Age 21, though, she um, meets a man 
Emile, Sydney, and they start living together. Um, they were both, um, I mean, Emile was from a family of black citizens who were um, free, so affranchi, and they had been freed before slavery ended. So they had um, a better status than um, a lot of other people. And Emile uh, taught his wife, Sophie, about uh, inequalities and he made her aware of um, the unfairness of uh, Martinique society. So Sophie decided to become an activist and she realized she had a power away with words. So she started writing speeches or if not writing them, uh, speaking them. And uh, she became so good at it that she was named Lumina um, because of see, Philomena uh, is short. Uh, Lumina is short for Philomena. And it's um, a word co coming from Greek and it means light. So she's getting um, her speeches uh, spread and she's getting renowned for it. So she's quite an important figure in Martinique society amongst people of color. Meanwhile, in 1870, there's a big upheaval about to happen. Uh, a young man, a young black man called Leopold Lubin was um, in a family of people who worked in um, road work and building uh, roads. And he was at work and he refused to let a man, a white man, uh, someone obviously higher in the uh, segregated racist Martinican society, he refused to let him go first. Um, because of this, there's an altercation and Leopold is thrown out of his horse and he's beaten up with a horse whip. Later, two months later, Leopold, uh, who was still angry about this, uh, gets revenge by attacking the white man, which was called Augier de Maintenon. However, justice is obviously um, supportive of the segregationist system. So it's not um, the white man who whipped Leopold in the first place who gets arrested, it's Leopold. And Leopold is arrested immediately and is condemned with a very, very heavy uh, sentence. And this strikes um, a spark and it leads to a, a real fire of revolt and insurrection. So the south of the island of Martinique uh, rebels against this segregationist system. And Lumina Sophie, because of her renowned speeches, she becomes um, a person of interest in the rebellion. So from September 1870, she galvanizes the crowd and she makes speeches on the marketplace and she asks for the liberation of Leopold. On the 22nd, it's a massive rebellion and people take arms. As a parallel to another icon of freedom, Solitude from Guadeloupe, uh, it happens that Sophie, Lumina Sophie, is pregnant when the rebellion starts. And Lumina, being a strong 
fierce woman decides to bear arms as well despite her pregnancy. So the people are armed and they work towards the Habitation Lamonie, which is a plantation owned by Monsieur Code, Uh, who was a member of the jury that condemned the black man, Leopold, to a very sen a very heavy sentence. Um, as it usually happens when people are angry and they're rebel and they're armed, uh, violence spreads. They uh, take this man, they beat him, they kill him, and they proclaim a state of urgency. And they want freedom from um, France. France reacts swiftly, sends, sends an army, and it's the uh, end of the insurrection on the 26th. So you can see it was five days of chaos from the 22nd when uh, Lumina Sophie makes a speech at the market till the 26th. In five days, a lot of damage has been done. 500 rioters are arrested. More than 10 are killed. 75 are sentenced and eight are sentenced to death. So very, very strong repression. And uh, Lamina, because she, Lumina, so apologies, because she was involved in the fighting, she is arrested as well. And she was known because of her speeches. So even though she's pregnant, she's arrested. And she's called La Flamme de la Révolte, the uh, flame of the insurrection. Basically, she's a perfect culprit. She's a woman. She's of color. She's pregnant. She's everything that is usually demonized in a strong Catholic um, society, um, a, a strong patriarchy. So she's accused of being uh, someone who is a bit of an arsonist. Uh, she's accused of trying to dominate men. She's accused of um, just... Um, not being a real woman because obviously she took arms. So she's accused of basically everything that the patriarchy refuses to be outspoken, to be strong and to fight because that's not a, a traditional fe feminine attribute. So in uh, April 1871, she gives birth to a little boy who is called Theodore and she is in jail at the time, uh, not unlike solitude in Guadeloupe. Um, The boy is taken from her and he will die 14 months later in jail. So even if it was a baby, it was not released to her family or her um, uh, relatives or to an orphanage. The child was kept in prison and died there. Um, I can assume of ill treatment. A child needs to be with his mother uh, and at 14 months old is very vulnerable in the prison system. So you can imagine the state of Lumina Sophie um, deprived of her child and then sentenced to um, forced labor. She's sent to another French colony, which is called Guyana, Guyane, and um, she has to go there and work until death. While she's in prison, because there's a lack of female population in Guyane, she's forced to marry a white Frenchman called Marie-Joseph Léon-Félix. She will die on the 15th of December, 1879, aged 31, due to um, 
the forced labor she had to do, disease and lack of healthcare. Guyane is, I've been there. It's a beautiful place, but the nature is really unforgiving. Um, unlike Guadeloupe and Martinique, where you don't have dangerous species, Guyane has a lot of deadly species. Um, there's a lot of dengue fever, yellow fever. In the prison system, there was cholera, there was typhus. There was all the disease you get when you have poor sanitation and people on top of each other. So the life expectancy of anyone sent to forced labor in Guyane was approximately nine months. So she she didn't live that much longer than that. So uh, Lumina Sophie used her words and also uh, she, she fought uh, physically, but she got the same treatment as um, Solitude in Guadeloupe. Uh, Solitude was um, uh, sentenced to death. We don't know if it was by hanging or by uh, shooting. And her child was taken from her and we don't know what happened to the child. For Lumina Sophie, we have more records because obviously it was um, almost 100 years later. But the result was the same. The way she was treated was the same. And you can also see a parallel with Joanna of Arc. Uh, Joanna of Arc obviously was famous for um, being an armed warrior, uh, virgin warrior. Uh, so she was unlike uh, Lumina Sophie and Solitude. She was not pregnant when she was fighting. But it's the same. An outspoken woman who decides to play um, the game of men is swiftly punished because she decided to get involved, but because also she's a woman and she should have known her place. So you can see there's so many um, different layers uh, of intersectionality in these uh, biopics, in these stories about these strong women. They are uh, young women, they are uh, opinionated, they fight for their freedom, they fight for justice, they fight against a system which is abusive, um, segregationist, racist, and anti-women, misogynist, and they fight with the only things they have, which is their words or their their arms, their bare arms. Um, no pun intended. So it's, it's fascinating to see how swiftly they get punished and um, how years later, Nothing is done to um, to apologize from the state. I mean, France was on the wrong side of history, punishing women for wanting respect of human rights, you know. And yet the desire to um, recognize these women's struggles and these women's contribution is never pushed forward by the state, by... Um, the Ministry of Culture or the Ministry of Education. No, it always comes from the people who remember via oral history a lot of the time, and then later with a bit of luck with books and statues. Or It, it always comes from um, ordinary people. And I think this is a great parallel with decolonizing the curriculum. This movement that I'm, I'm working in and that I hope you are going to take part in, it always comes from uh, the ground, from the, the, the common people, from us. And then we carry it and it's like a big wave and then it, it cleanses and washes everything. But it always comes from the, the common people. It's never going to come from the top because it questions uh, the hierarchy.
So, um, Lumina Sophie was a strong woman who fought for against segregation. And of course, she was also trouble in the sense that she encouraged um, armed uh, revolt. She uh, galvanized a group of women. They were called Oilers. And they led an insurrection. And their argument was that uh, black men and women have had worked enough, uh, their ancestors had worked enough, and that now they were caught up in unfair labor contracts and in a society that was constantly pushing them down. Um, not unlike Rosa Parks when she refused to give her boss seat to a white man, uh, Leopold refused to let a white man go before him because he, he assumed he was a citizen of the Republic, the French Republic, and that he had as many rights as the others. So it was a very short-lived revolution, five days. Um, Lumina Sophie was the flame of revolt, and you can see how quickly uh, the flame was uh, put down. She was accused of blasphemy, revolt, uh, she was accused of um, arson, and um, even though the charge of arson was dropped, she was still found guilty of revolt and she was sentenced to life in prison. How do we know so much about Lumina Sophie? We know because um, oral history works beautifully. And then later on, people look back and they find inspiration in the stories of these strong ladies. There is a play entitled Lumina Sophie des Surprises by uh, Suzanne Dracius um, that tells her story from 2015. Um, and there is a, a biography also, Lumina Sophie, um, 1848-1879, rebelled and um, banyard by Gilbert Pago, P-A-G-O. Um, so you do find historians who write books about these important icons of freedoms that are uh, Lumina Sophie and Solitude. The only problem is that we are not mentioning them in textbooks and history books. So as a French language teacher, I'm going to mention Solitude and Lumina Sophie to my students because I believe they are great figures of um, that promote French ideals. Because at the end of the day, the ideals of the French Revolution, um, the French Revolution that gave us the abolition of slavery in the first place, 1793, it was the ideal that everybody was a citizen, even black Africans living in the colonies. This was a wonderful ideal. And um, when we hear liberté, égalité, fraternité, freedom, equality, and brotherhood, we should think about these freedom fighters because they were the ones who actually promoted our republican values, our uh, universal rights ideals. So these women were doing the work that we assume all French people should be doing. Now, obviously, the government had a very different idea of what freedom and uh, human rights mean. But that government was on the wrong side of history. So it is important that we bring forward these strong female figures in our history so that we inspire our young people to also think about the ideals that we represent 
and um, to find the right path, their right paths in their engagement, in their daily battles, in what they choose to fight for. Um, Lumina Sophie is inspiring artists, not just um, playwrights and historians. There is a singer called Lauriane Zachary who wrote a song called Lumina. You can uh, hear her on YouTube. So there is a movement of people who want to celebrate these strong women, this kick-ass heroine, as, as I call them. And it's really important that we do mention their names, say their names. Uh, we should shout out their names, definitely. Um, so the French state is slowly trying to look back and try to slowly decolonize it's going to take decades, but a few schools, and I like the fact that schools are named after um, Lumina Sophie. So um, there are obviously uh, drawings in the Lycée des Batelières in Schulche City. There is a whole facade of the high school that has been painted and represents Lumina Sophie. There is in Fort de France, now the capital of Martinique, a tower, a big skyscraper called La Tour Lumina, which um, is obviously a, a good way to, to um, promote her. Um, and there is a high school called Lumina Sophie de Saint Laurent in Guyane, where she was sent for forced labor and where she passed. Um, and it was... Um, uh, the third best uh, high school in France in 2021. So we are slowly giving um, remembrance and giving um, memory back to these women. And I hope that today's uh, show is helping promote Lumina Sophie. My, uh, my aim is that in 10 years time, if you tell students who are learning French abroad, in England, for instance, if you tell them, do you know who Napoleon is? They will know who that was. And if we say, but do you know who um, Lumina Sophie was? They will know who that was. And if we say, do you know who Solitude was? They will know that it was someone who fought against uh, Napoleon when he reinstated slavery. So we really need to give... Um, all our students need to know about famous dictators, of which Napoleon uh, was. I, that's, that's my argument. But we also need to know about all these people who fought against dictatorships and fought for freedom. Because that, it's their sacrifice that gave us the society we live in at the end of the day. So I'm just going to let you have a think about this while playing our announcers. Thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our Study Skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the EtonX curriculum in your school for free. Visit EtonX.com to find out more. Thank you for listening to the announcements. Um, I just want to reiterate the importance of uh, celebrating um, famous or sh people should be famous from our, our history. Decolonizing the curriculum is about giving uh, a different perspective on our history, showing that the way our society operates um, was based on a system that was abusive, racist, segregationist, and totalitarian. And it is by having a reflection on our past that we will be equipping our next generation and ourselves to avoid the pitfalls of this system so that we do not reproduce it any longer. It is important that we question the patriarchy and why we have another movie made by uh, another man about another famous man. I'm quoting Napoleon by Ridley Scott, obviously. And yet no money is spent on making great movies about these women who were fighters. I'm sure we could make an amazing movie out of um, Solitude in Guadeloupe or Lumina Sophie in Martinique. There would be battles, there would be drama, there would be a love story, there, would be, um, a, there wouldn't be a happy ending for sure but there would be a lot of pathos that would make for a great movie. So if any of you know someone who works for Netflix uh, or HBO or any other platform that makes movies possible, tell them about Solitude and Lumina Sophie. We need more movies about women who have changed the world, who have changed history and women who were, who started from very little and yet left a mark. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you have any questions or if you want to share your views, please do not hesitate to use X Twitter. Uh, I'm accessible on X Twitter at profprofmfl. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts. In the meantime, I'm going to wish you a lovely evening. Enjoy the last hours of your weekend. Have a great week and uh, keep learning. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.